Yeah, what up, y'all? This your boy, Blame, a.k.a. St. Lou. And remember, God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does, you Welcome back to Extra Notes Academy. This is season two, you <laughs> Man, it feels so good. We moving along. Ah, welcome back. Welcome back. This season, we are going to be discussing justification by faith. Yes. Uh, Martin Luther says that justification is the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. Big words from the big homie. You feel me? And, um, you know, as we do that, I want to walk through my project Extra Nos, which is, again, a Latin phrase that means outside of us. And this project is really where it all started. This is where Extra Nos Academy was birthed through this project, through the workings in my mind and my experience that all was poured out into this EP. So we're going all the way back to the beginning, y'all, and we're just going to get into that. We are moving along. We are learning much. We are having great dialogue. I've been seeing the comments and reading all of your, you know, your emails and your direct messages and everything. They have been so encouraging. Many people are being challenged and pushed. And I love that because it's not just for the sake of, but it's for the sake of growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord that inspires us to do good works and to serve those around us with the varying gifts and talents that we all had to sacrifice for others to represent our God and his kindness and care for the people. Amen. You feel me? That's what we're doing here at Exynos Academy. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just you know, waxing eloquent for the sake of talking. And nah, that's not what we do. We're here because we love our God and we're loved by our God. And we want to love people as an expression of that love. You feel me? So anyway, we're going to talk about what justification is according to the scriptures and how the Lutheran tradition has preserved the sweetness of such a reality. And uh, so that's going to be fun. And the way we're going to do that is by walking through the EP that really sparked all of this, which is Extra Nos. Uh, man, this project is dear to me. Uh, it's the it's the journey. It's uh, I recorded it in the heat of the moment while I was working through things and learning much. So it really captures the essence and the mood of where I was then. And as I was coming out of Concordia Seminary and just, you know, processing all of these things that I had been exposed to, ancient Christianity as it's been preserved through Lutheran thought, I put it all in that EP and it's done so many wonderful things. The reach is broad. The impact is deep. And I love what God is birthed out of that project. So I thought it was only right to sort of double back and move forward as we think through justification. We just finished word and water where we talked about baptism. So <laughs> I know you guys have overdosed on baptism talk, but you can continue to because it's so much there. But now it's time to talk about justification by faith. And this is good because, you know, it's funny because a lot of people champion and celebrate the Reformation. They value and appreciate Martin Luther, but we are really underexposed as to his contribution in large part in the sort of generic American church or just in Protestantism in general we don't know much about how God used Luther and this doctrine that we hold so dear. So this is the perfect time and a perfect place to unpack that. And it's so funny because I had somebody ask me recently, they said, man, flame, I know you're a Lutheran now. He says, are Lutherans Christians? 
And I said, wow, so interesting to think how far we've gotten from um, the first reformer all the way to the point where someone can ask, is, is, is Lutheranism Christian? And I said, of course, of course, um, we, we certainly hold to um, the things that make Christianity what it is. So I'm excited really just to walk through uh, that journey and, you know, to further talk your head off. I'm going to be releasing a book with Concordia Publishing House that will take you deeper into the stories and the experience of the journey that led me to where I am today. So look for that. I am writing profusely and just, you know, really trying to give you all the path and the steps and the experience as much as I can in words, in writing, in book format. So look forward to that as well. So a lot is coming, man. A lot is coming. That's, but yeah, I'm super excited because this project means so much to me. Even when I go back to it, it's just so nostalgic and it still ministers to me, even though I wrote it. <laughs> um, but it still speaks to me. It still uh, takes me back to that time where God was gracious enough to expose me to exactly what I needed, the sweetness of his promises in his word and sacraments. So thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so what we're going to do, man, we're going to get into this first song. It's titled Scattered Tulips. And this is important because I came from a tradition the Reformed Baptist Calvinistic tradition that also holds to justification by faith. Amen. Praise God for those brothers and sisters who are faithfully communicating what's in the word of God. Amen. Thank you. However, there are some tricky things that happened as I was living that out, that Calvinism, that Reformed Baptist version. And yeah, although people understand in that space that we're justified by faith alone, it still gets a little tricky the way sanctification is arranged in the room, it gets a little fuzzy and difficult to walk down that path when the sacraments are either watered down and made a metaphor or a simile or something like that. So, yeah, it's just it, it, it ends up wearing on the soul. So I'm going to talk about that in this song, Scattered Tulips, and just kind of let you feel the origins of the burden and the problem point where God began to sort of break me down to build me back up. We'll say it like that. All right, real quick. So if you want to learn more about ancient Christianity as preserved through Lutheran thought on important topics like baptism, the Lord's Supper, justification by faith alone, the law and the gospel, and so many other beautiful confessions, make sure you check out cph.org. There you'll find so many Christ-centered resources that'll help you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and the hope of the gospel, you will find books, Bible studies, devotionals, and some of my favorites like The Spirituality of the Cross by Gene Veith, Has American Christianity Failed by Brian Wolfmuller, to name a few. You feel me? Make sure you go to cph.org or you can go to cph.org slash flame and you will see a list of books that I've curated, that I've read personally, that have helped me out in my walk. So make sure you go there, tap in, grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. You fed. But before we get into this song, I want to show you the books that I will be drawing from for season two. You all have seen this one before The Spirituality of the Cross by Gene Veith. So look forward to getting into that. Um, matter of fact, we'll be getting into that today. And then this next one here, The Great Divide. Most of the time it's been up on my bookshelf back there, but now it's time to dive in. So this is by the Brody Jordan Cooper, a Lutheran evaluation of 
reform theology. I cannot wait to jump into that beefy machine. So that's going to be fun. And then we're also going to look into this book, The Genius of Luther's Theology. In case you cannot tell, I am a Lutheran. <laughs> um, your brother in Christ. Some people be like, are Lutherans Christians? Really? <laughs> this is by the, the big homies, Robert Cobb and Charles Aaron. I had the privilege of sitting in class with both of those gentlemen during my time at Concordia Seminary. So grateful for those gentlemen. And then lastly, Christian Dogmatics by F. Peeper, Francis Peeper, volume two. So, yeah, I might pull in a few articles or something like that. So we're going to be going through a lot of material, the same format. Um, but, yeah, just sort of jumping around and really getting at the heart and the meat of what the Bible says about justification by faith alone. So that's going to be super fun to get into that. Um, but as mentioned, let's get into this song, Scattered Tulips. Let's go. The Lord always brings you what you need. Right on time, too. I'm just thankful for the journey. Hollin' hallelujah, God, it came in the nick of time. Calvinism was sublime, rescued me from my decline. Bigger picture painted God, scripture get prioritized. Plus it fit my introverted, nerdy, burden, quirky side. I'm persuaded by the Bible, Mr. John. So does exegesis from Geneva, Switzerland. But it's crazy though, you put what you know to the five. Test the systematics with other erudite paradigms. What you find? You find great men, who know Greek, Hebrew too. You find great women, well learned, outside of your group. Then them strong pillars, they used to Stand, start the fall. Now you digging through the rubble, struggle to rebuild your walls. Hold up. I see scattered tulips. Come with me, I show you what I found. I be digging in the text. Funny what you find when you low to the ground. I see scattered tulips. Come with me, I show you what I found. I be digging in the text. Funny what you find when you low Holland, to the ground. Holland, I can't take it, God. Nah, I need some peace of mind. Tulips seen on the ground, they isogeated Romans 9. No, it used to seem like the biggest thing at the time. God's sovereignty. Start really shrinking God down in size. I'm predestined, right? Let's assume I'm one of the elect at a low point. Life a mess in the flesh. Where you find me at? Introspecting, trying to check. Looking deep within myself, trying my best to assess. Was I genuine? Am I regenerate? Better yet. Was I ever really with him? Will he hit me with Matthew 7? Let's be clear. We justified by faith. Maybe Mr. Calvin, that's ain't the Vacation out of place, I don't know. I see scattered tulips. Come with me, I show you what I found. I be digging in the text. Funny what you find when you low to the ground. I see scattered tulips. Come with me, I show you what I found. I be digging in the text. Funny what you find when you low to the ground. I see scattered tulips. Come with me, I'll show you what I found. I'll be digging in the text. Funny what you find when you low to the ground. Big facts. Make some noise for that one. Wow. Scattered tulips, man. Wow. You know, that song right there, you know, uh, my intention was not to take shots. At Calvinism, obviously, I started off the song praising Calvin for his contribution to not just, you know, Christianity, but to myself. And, um, you know, so still have many cherished friendships and great memories and, 
you know, helpful things that I gained during my 18 years in that space. However, as mentioned, um, struggling through the way Matthew 7 is interpreted, things of that sort, struggling through the way Romans 9 is interpreted. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of those things became problematic and we'll get into it. So this is just the first episode of season two. So yeah, literally lock in, you know, it's, it's, it's about to be a fun ride anyway. Let's get into our reading for today. So this is from the spirituality of the cross by Gene Veith, as mentioned, and I'll always put the description of the books in the description section. So y'all can look for that. But this one here is page 29 justification, the dynamics of sin and grace. Let's go. Whether in the world's organized religions or in the individual strivings of human beings to find meaning in their lives, certain patterns keep emerging. Adolf Kobeli notes three kinds of spiritual aspiration. Moralism, in which the will seeks to achieve perfection of conduct. Speculation, in which the mind seeks to achieve perfection of understanding and mysticism in which the soul seeks to achieve perfection by becoming one with God. Though all of these contain elements of wisdom, Lutheran spirituality is totally different from them all. And I love those three categories that he is introducing to the conversation moralism, speculation, mysticism. So you hear those terms a lot. Moralism, again, says in which the will seeks to achieve perfection of conduct. So that's us trying to um, muster up enough strength to be good people. Speculation in which the mind seeks to achieve perfection of understanding. So that's just the desire to know everything, to have all the answers to the most lofty, and complicated questions and inquiry that we can possibly muster in our thinking. That's that drive, that speculation. And then lastly, mysticism, in which the soul seeks to achieve perfection by becoming one with God. And that's a big one right now is because everyone's talking about, you know, being finding yourself and the God in yourself, the goddess in yourself and being one with God and you are God. All of those things fall under the umbrella of mysticism. But again, all of these are efforts to make ourselves right, to justify ourselves. So this is a great topic for the current state of things. And um, as we think about our non-Christian friends who are working through these issues as well in their space and even in a Christian arena where people are trying to figure out Christianity and to live up to a standard in hopes to earn righteousness or earn their way into heaven. So this is a very relevant topic. Let's keep going. Instead of insisting that human beings attain perfection, Lutheran spirituality begins by facing up to imperfection. I love that. We face it head on. We are not perfect. We cannot perfect our conduct. Try as we might. We cannot understand God through our intellects. We cannot become one with God. Instead of human beings having to do these things, Lutheran spirituality teaches that God does them 
for us. He becomes one with us in Jesus Christ. He reveals himself to our feeble understandings by his word. He forgives our conduct and in Christ lives the perfect life for us. This is the beauty and the uniqueness of Christianity. But in particular, I love how in the Lutheran space, we do some dear and wonderful things with these realities, how we fight and preserve um, the sweetness of these. We do not have to ascend to God. Rather, the good news is that he has descended to us. Most philosophies and theologies focus on what human beings must do to be saved. Lutherans insist that there is nothing we can do, but that God does literally everything. Human sin and God's grace are the two poles of Lutheran spirituality. To be sure, these are intrinsic to all of Christianity. Amen. But in Lutheranism, they are both heightened. They are resolved in the principle by which it is said the church stands or falls justification by faith or to unpack what that means. We are justified by grace through faith in Christ as his work on the cross. I love that the emphasis is on Jesus's work for us. Let's lock that in our minds as we move forward. Paths to God. The various approaches to the spiritual life cited by Koberly deserve more attention so that the Lutheran perspective can be thrown in higher relief. The way of moralism seeks to earn God's favor or a satisfying life through the achievement of moral perfection, always doing what is right, avoiding wrongdoing of every kind, keeping oneself under control by sheer willpower and a scrupulous conscience. Certainly, the desire to be good is a laudable sentiment, if it only could be accomplished. Many people assume that moralism is, in fact, what Christianity is all about. Good people go to heaven, it is thought, while bad people go to hell. Christians are those who live moral, upright lives, avoiding sins while doing good works. Sometimes this takes the form of rather small lifestyle choices, avoiding alcohol, tobacco, and other petty pleasures, while sometimes it takes the form of working for high ideals, rightening the wrongs of society through political activism and social reform. It is true that some versions of Christianity do tend toward the moralistic. Certainly, moralism characterizes many of the world's religions. In Islam, every detail of life, including the food one eats, the details of family life, and the policies of government is regulated by strict moral rules. Even the non-religious people often follow the paths of moralism. Animal rights activists, environmentalists, and political crusaders are often just as zealous, perfectionistic, and all-demanding as the most conservative religionist. I love this because... This is helping us separate all efforts to do good from what it means to be a Christian. Sometimes those lines are so blurred that in the Christian world, we end up living as moralists, thinking that's what God was getting at with Christianity. And that could not be further 
from the truth, although packaged within all these things mentioned or good things that will help ourselves. It will help people around us. It will help our society. But that is not the thrust, the main thrust, the goal and the purpose of Christianity. So it's it's important to differentiate true Christianity, biblical Christianity from all of these other efforts in the world to be good. That's important because I've heard it once said that you can only do good if you have the Holy Spirit. People say things like you can't be a good husband. You can't do good in the world unless you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit. I get the idea, but that's just not true. There are many people in the world who do great things and they are not Christians. So it doesn't take the Holy Spirit to be indwelling inside of you as a as a as a believer to be doing good things. So that's not let's not confuse the two. Um, Yes, the Holy Spirit will lead us to do good works, but doing good works is not evidence that you have the Holy Spirit living within you. Keep that in mind. Let's keep going. Moralism, however, involves a host of impossibilities and contradictions. People just do not and it seems cannot live up to their own high standards. We keep failing. Sometimes our very attempts at moral perfection leads us to immoral actions. As when our strict rules cause us to hate, coerce and feel superior to others. Man, I've seen this so often. Other times, our interior attitudes undermine our virtuous actions. I have done good works, quote unquote, for which I receive praise and acclamation while inside feeling an unwilling resentment that I knew even at the time took away any pretension that I was meriting anything. The passions, the perversities of the will, the innermost secret desires of the heart keep thwarting the best moral intentions. Moralists are often tempted to mask their failures with dishonesty or rationalization. This is why moralism is often accompanied by hypocrisy, a show of external righteousness that masks the true story of what is happening inside. Another way of coping when our moral reach exceeds our grasp is to push virtue out to the periphery of our experience, turning morality into a matter of voting rights or holding the correct social positions or supporting virtuous causes, even while our personal or family lives become a wreck. We define down moral perfection, making it something easier and within our control. In doing so, of course, we generally end up violating the moral obligations that really count. Those that have to do with our own behavior and our relationships to those around us. Oh my goodness, this definitely is is hitting home in terms of the truth. I mean, when you are a moralist, you end up so obsessed with coming across the right way that oftentimes your personal life is neglected, your family life is neglected, and you be, you can become mean and arrogant in terms of feeling better than other people, but you're doing good in the world and you're pushing these good ideas out there that are intended to help the masses while all along you're you're masking, you're burying, you're you're hiding who you really are and your real struggles. This is this is just hitting home for all of us. 
Another problem inherent to moralism is that righteousness has a way of twisting itself into self-righteousness, a feeling of pride and superiority that undoes the virtue that is achieved. The problem is not only that people of the highest morals slip up. It seems that the very effort to be moralistic tends to breed harshness, pride, and even cruelty. Hardly signs of being a good person. Again, being good is a laudable goal. The problem, if we are honest, is that no one seems able to fully achieve that goal. If we're honest, we don't really have the willpower or the inner motivation or inner purity to achieve moral perfection. And I think this is a good space to stop for Episode one, let's just think about that. Feel the weight of that. The human beings do not have the power to be the kind of good in the world that we may parade, nor and especially do we have the kind of good that God, the father, our creator is asking for. The Bible says to be ye perfect. Right. And he's not grading on a curve. He's not saying be sort of perfect. Be okay, says, be perfect like my father in heaven. We cannot pull that off. And the Bible says in the book of James, chapter two, if you break one law, then you've broken them all. God's standard is perfection. He will not budge. He is not moving. So how are we broken, corrupt and sinful people going to be made right in a righteous and a holy God's sight? And that's where we are here today talking about justification by faith alone. Thank God for Jesus who comes in and accomplishes what we cannot. But there are so many layers to how this is understood, misunderstood, abused, and becomes a fuzzy and ambiguous thing to think about, to talk about as we live out our Christian faith, as we deal with the varying denominations and understandings of what it means to be a Christian and what life looks like Um, Just in general, as a human being, in terms of being a good person. So let's get deeper into it. A lot was said. We're going to keep it going. This your boy Flame, a.k.a. St. Luke. And remember, God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. You feel? (laughs) 